Welcome to Gil Reads Comics, where every week we recap and review your favorite comics. Normally, I'd have Adam on, but if you've been paying attention, then you've noticed that we're fully caught up on Spider-Man, Batman, which means that now we can start to explore some other comics. Some other comics that are, you know, a little off the beaten path. So, you know, Adam, he's kind of a mainstream guy. So I had to bring in somebody special to help me out with this one. There's a comic that's been out there for a couple years now that I've been curious about. And I brought in some reinforcements to help me dive into it. So I'm looking at my 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 uh, podcasting partner for the day. Who are you? Hey, I'm, I'm Daniel. I'm Gil's younger brother. One of his two younger brothers. That's right. Adam is my other younger brother. You've seen Daniel before, right? Yeah, on the uh, Halloween special episode of Gil Reads Comics, where we recorded in a studio and we recorded it and with a camera. It's pretty great. You don't even know the name of your own podcast, the Halloween special. It was the Halloween Spooktacular. I just didn't say Spooktacular because I didn't think I could say it in as cool a way as you. Oh, well, I appreciate that. And, and Spooktacular, it's actually, I think, pretty valid that we would bring that up on this episode because the comic we're going to discuss kind of fits into the spooky mold. Scooby-Doo Apocalypse. There is an epidemic affecting children everywhere. Comic books. Comics everywhere. Avengers, Batman, Wonder Woman, and they're in movies now, too. In the real world, there is no good and evil. Enough! I'm reading comics, and no one's gonna stop me. Uh, is that right? Scooby-Doo? You mean Scooby-Apocalypse? Yeah. The, the do is silent. Exactly. A few years ago, do you know that you don't even know the, do you know the origins of uh, Scooby Apocalypse, how this story came about, what the deal is and everything? No, I don't. I, I just, I just read the issue. That's, that's the extent of my knowledge. Hannah Barbera partnered with DC Comics a couple of years ago. Hannah Barbera, that's the company that did all your favorite cartoons from when you were a kid. Flintstones, Jetsons, Wacky Race. What was it called, Daniel? Wacky Raceland. Future Quest. All these, all your favorite shows. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Hanna-Barbera and DC are both owned by Time Warner. So they formed a partnership between the two. And they created an initiative called Hanna-Barbera Beyond. Where they rebooted in comic book form a few of those cartoons. But with more of a serious take. Scooby Apocalypse, you can hear it right in the title, right? Apocalypse. And it's rated for teens. So, you know, this is not this is not your father is Scooby-Doo. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Issue 1 came out back in 2016, and we're going to read that one. Maybe we'll read all of them. Catch up. But for today, Issue 1 of Scooby Apocalypse... And uh, I'm also, I've never done this before, but I'm going to pass the reins over. I'm going to let Daniel take over. Let him do the recap. I wanted to do it, but, you know, I was a little under the weather today, a little tired. So we figured Daniel's going to, he's going to carry this episode of Gilreads Comics on his back. On his shoulders. Yeah, I, I also did beg Gil to let me do it. That's the part that he's leaving out. True, true. This is kind of tryouts for you. 
Your performance on this episode will determine your future in Gil Reed's comics. So if you do a good job, you could be, this is a guest appearance. You do a good job. You could become a recurring character. Maybe even part of the main cast. Are you are you feeling up to the task? Yeah, I just feel bad for Adam. Well, you know, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Daniel, I'm going to pass it over to you. Let's dive into Scooby Apocalypse, issue one. Where are you? We got some work to do now. Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? We need some help from you now. Come on, Scooby Doo, I see you. All right. So we open up and it says Paris one year ago, and we see Velma standing on a balcony in front of the Eiffel Tower. Uh, and in case you don't remember, Velma's the kind of the nerdy one in right. the Scooby gang. Uh, and she's standing up there saying, you know, look at all those people down there, you know, talking about like love, exchanging kisses, all of this stuff, but they're fools. Right. Right. The world is coming to an end, she says. And and they're not doing anything about it. They're just pretending like everything's okay. She's one of these cynical people that looks around and thinks to herself, like, look at all these sheeple. They don't know what's really going on in this world. Yeah. And she says the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And she's going to do something about it. Uh, And so we see her release these, like, green things into the sky at the end of of her little speech. Uh, and later on, uh, at the end, it's it's kind of revealed what those are. I don't know, Gil. Do we do we say it now? What well, what's going on? You theoretically, our listeners have have read the comic, so they know where it's going. Nanites, we'll, mini we'll, mini robots. Right. We'll get into more detail on what that is later in the issue. When you first read it, though, how did you react to this? Yeah, it looked like she was uh, playing with powers beyond her control. She was she's up to something weird. Yeah, that, that was really my which response. character. I always mix up Velma and Daphne. Who, who are we talking about here again? Velma's the nerdy one. Velma, right? I I will say that this did not endear me to her character because don't you if you ever have uh, friends that have this sort of attitude of overly cynical. Oh yeah, I hate it. Yeah, and it's like what like like all these people having fun on the Champ Elysees. No idea if I'm saying that right. Like all these people having a great time, like all these like lovers and everything, and she's gotta, you know, she's gotta make us think about it. Right, exactly. Right. Now it does turn out, you know, she's these nanites are uh, are actually. This, I was gonna say it turns out she's right. The, the, the people don't really know what's going on. There, there is a big problem, but the problem is the release of the nanites, which is she's doing it. So. Yeah, no no sympathy for her. Yeah, I guess where yeah. I come down on this is I don't agree with Velma. Yeah, no, it's actually, I mean, it's her being high and mighty that causes the whole problem in this issue, right? Like, she thinks she's, like, all high and mighty. She can solve the world's problems. So she releases the nanites that are probably going to bring on the apocalypse. Right. Based off the title, Scooby Apocalypse. Yeah. All right. So we see her release the green nanites into the sky. And then next, we cut to uh, Fred and Daphne. 
So Daphne is the other girl in the Scooby gang. Mm-hmm. She's the redheaded one. Yeah. Uh, and, and Fred is the, like, the tall blonde guy that she's with. Right. Uh, and, and so what we see is that Fred is, is basically her cameraman. Yeah. And, and, uh, Daphne's complaining about how her show has, has lost viewers over time. Uh, and, and basically it seems like she ran one of those, like, late night, I guess, mystery shows. It was literally called Mysterious Mysteries, I think, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And, and what's the name they introduced kind of the title of this issue? Scooby Apocalypse, Waiting for the End of the World. I usually like to say the title in sort of a movie trailer voice. So if you want to take a stab at that. All right. Waiting for the end of the world? Yeah. Okay. Scooby Apocalypse issue one. Waiting for the end of the world. Oh, that's great. It wasn't a little too much? No, no. We'll put in a lightning bolt, like Ah, a thunderclap after that. Dope. And I think that's going to really set the mood. And and probably cut it out and replace it with Adam's voice. Right. (laughs) I'm going to re-record this entire episode (laughs) with Adam. (laughs) Is this going to read all your lines? Well, yeah, you can at least keep my script. So I guess my thoughts are good. It's just my my speaking is what's going to be the problem. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Wait, so we could bring you on as a writer behind the scenes. You'll just write down, this will become, uh, you write transcripts, so scripts, and then Adam and I will, it'll be more of a performance. Yeah, I don't I don't like the spotlight anyway. Yeah, yeah I don't like to get credit for the things that I do. Um, yeah, I never liked acting or doing anything in the public spotlight, so. Daniel's trying to be sarcastic right now, but one of his character flaws is an inability to convey tone. Monotone. That's true. It, it's gotten me in a lot of issues, actually. I'm very sarcastic. Right. Yeah, I actually crave the spotlight and attention. You can tell because he's supposed to be recapping Scooby Apocalypse, but he just can't stop talking about himself right now. Well, no, we'll get back to Scooby Apocalypse in a minute, but I want to take you back to high school when I was a star actor. Anyway, back to Scooby Apocalypse. Okay. So, basically, Fred and Daphne, they're in Paris uh, because they think something interesting is going to happen at this festival there with all of these hippies. And they're meeting an informant who they think is going to give them, like, the scoop, the new story that they're looking for, that's going to put Daphne back on the radar, make her show big again. Right. And Fred's trying to tell her, forget the show. I believe in you, but that show is a ratings disaster. We got to try something different. And she won't hear it. She wants that show back or she'll die trying which she even says. And this uh, this festival, this is the Blazing Man Festival, so clearly inspired by the real-life Burning Man Festival. Do you, do you actually know what the Burning Man Festival is, by the way? I was never quite clear on it. I mean, I have like a rough idea, right? It's a, it's a music festival in the in the middle of the desert, I think, in, in Nevada. I don't know. Is that where it is? Uh, and, I mean, it's... I think they were doing it since like the 70s or something. Mm. Tons of people stay there in tents and everything. But I hear now from the non-mainstream crowd that it's kind of lame now. Because it's all these like rich people going there now and like helicopters. Does it involve gift giving of some kind? Already, I clearly don't know what I'm talking about. A few years ago, when I was early on in, uh, in the dating game, went out with this girl. One of the first girls I really dated. And... She was talking to me about the Burning Man Festival, but I didn't want to admit that I didn't know what it was. 
So I was kind of just nodding my head and I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. She's like, yeah, it's crazy. All these people come together and the gifts. And I was like, yeah, I know the gifts is probably the most interesting part, I would say. But I had nothing of substance to say about it. So and I kind of saw her eyes glaze over and, you know. I'm sorry. How did that make you feel? It made me feel silly. And I learned that from now on, I'm going to be myself. Kids, don't change who you are for somebody else. Because that'll never work. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up, though. That strategy has not worked for me. <laughs> I've, I've, I constantly just act like the opposite of what I think I should be. Mm-hmm. And I actually have some friends. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, enough with the self-deprecating humor. Uh... Should we continue with the Scooby recap? Yeah, we usually try to maintain a very positive uh, environment at Gil Reads. I know you're a little bit new here. <laughs> and uh, you actually, I feel like you would get along very well with, with Velma, with the cynicism. And the high and mighty feeling. And, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. So, well, Daphne was wrong for being so, you know, saying her show is terrible and has like no viewers, right? Because next up we see Shaggy introduced. And he recognizes Daphne. Oh, yeah. Although, I mean, they're not interacting yet, but but Shaggy points at her and talking to Scooby and says, hey, that's the host of that late night mystery, what was it, mysterious mystery show. Right. Uh, he always watches it uh, at his aunt's place. He specifically, after- he says, check it out. That's the host of that low rent mystery show on the knitting channel. I watch it sometimes when I'm visiting my Nana. She has a hard time sleeping and are you even listening to me? Uh-oh. He was talking to Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I mean, come on. How can you not be proud of that? A low-rent mystery show on the Knitting Channel. She's got it going on. Yeah. It's great. And one thing to take away from this is that the Scooby gang, they're not all together yet. Fred and Daphne, they know each other. They work together. Separate from that, Shaggy is walking around with Scooby-Doo. Later, we'll learn that he has a connection with Velma. But right now, it's kind of there's two groups that will eventually come together to form the Scooby gang that we're all familiar with. Uh, next, we see Velma in a lab of some kind in sort of the security area. Uh, and she's looking on the video screen and sees Shaggy and Scooby. And it's basically revealed that they work in this complex that Velma runs. And they're not supposed to be outside of the complex. She's basically like, ah. Like, why did they leave the complex again? And the security people ask her, hey, do you want us to to go, you know, get them back, bring them back? Uh, and she tells them no. Probably a good idea because they're all heavily armed and clearly probably wouldn't handle a situation like that very peacefully. No. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like this complex is up to uh, up to no good. A lot of, lot of guns. And a couple things that... I'm noticing, you know, as we get into this is curious about the the characterization of each of these these characters, right? Velma, she's like we said, sort of nerdy, super cynical outsider type character. We've gotten a window into Velma, kind of uh egomaniac, wants to be famous uh TV. Uh she was not a Pulitzer Prize winning writer, but at that level, she was competitive. It seems like she was a solid journalist. Um, so maybe there's more layers to her than we know. Shaggy has the look of a traditional hipster. 
right? Kind of a beard and a handlebar mustache, tattoos. So just uh, different characters. You can tell that each of these is sort of a real world, slightly different take uh, on the character from the show. But there's a, you can tell how these characters were influenced by their uh, personification on the actual original show. And uh, Velma is, uh, she's a little crazy. Because next we see her walking away from the security people. And she says aloud, after all, I'm about to betray the complex. Wait, no, I should do a Velma voice or something, yeah. right? Any advice on that? Or should I just go high pitched? But typically, if I'm reading a female voice, I will go slightly higher pitched. Um, but not 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 absurd like falsetto. All we right. talked about this on the Spooktacular. My my cue. I always think back to the Harry Potter audiobook mm. and think about the voice that the guy used for Hermione. All right. Well, we'll try this again. So security asks Velma as she walks away, "Shall I accompany you, Doctor?" And Velma responds, "No, thank you, Mister Colton. I'm quite capable of finding my way." And the last thing I want is one of you goons following me. After all, I'm about to betray the complex and everyone in it. She just says that aloud. Right. Like, we can still see the security person behind her. And she says she's going to betray everyone. Yeah. She she goes on and eventually acknowledges that and says, again, out loud. And I can't believe I'm talking out loud to myself in a facility with listening devices everywhere. Come on, Velma. Clear your mind. Focus. Oh, well, I'm glad she recognizes the absurdity of it. Right. Next, we see Fred and Daphne waiting in the middle of kind of like the desert. I don't know where you find the desert outside of Paris. But anyway, hmm. they're waiting like in the desert uh, to meet their informant. Yeah. And the informant appears from underneath the ground. Turns out it's Velma. Yep. And Fred immediately throws his camera at her and yells, more people. Yeah. So now we learn a little bit about Fred. It's quick on his feet, quick reflexes, but maybe not a whole lot in the brains department. Seems kind of like a jock. Yeah. Which I think was kind of his characterization in the TV show, too. I think so. But he was the leader of the group, right? In the TV show. And so here, they've kind of dumbed him down a bit. But I think I think with all these characters, they're they're giving you the sort of... They're giving you an impression of them. That's like obvious, right? Daphne, egomaniacal. That's that's not the right word for it. Superficial TV show lady, yeah. Fred, dumb jock. I think that we're going to see layers to them as we go on. They want you to see that you're being quick to judge. You're writing off Shaggy as a hipster, Fred as a uh, you know uh, jock. That's what they want you to do. And then you're going to find out that your assumptions are wrong. There's layers to these characters. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, that seems fair. Uh, next, we cut back to Shaggy and Scooby. And they're eating terrible, terrible vegan pizza. Uh, this is this is already like the fifth time or something in the book where they've made fun of hippies and vegans. Mm -hmm. uh, Fred earlier was complaining about vegans. Now Shaggy's complaining about how you just can't find pizza anymore. That was interesting because I assumed that Shaggy, hipster, would be into vegan food. This was the first hint to me that things are not going to be as clear-cut and obvious as you think. When they offered him this tofu pizza, I thought he was going to be real excited about it. But no, he's 
maybe a little bit more complex than we realized. He wants legitimate real pizza. So does Scooby. And I'm glad that that stays true to the original TV show. Yeah. He's going to want real pizza, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaggy loved food. Yeah. And and Scooby, not on board with this vegan pizza thing either. There's actually – so there's two vegan restaurants on my block, like right next to my apartment. Mm -hmm. Uh, This coffee place we used to love going to, they just got bought by some international vegan conglomerate Mm -hmm. that runs those other two vegan shops. And so now they own like all of the restaurants on my block. And this vegan coffee shop does not give you milk because they're vegan. Yeah. They asked me what milk I wanted. I said whole milk. And then they said, sorry, we don't have milk. (laughs) One of the worst experiences. Oh, I'm sorry. But seriously, like it's actually an international conglomerate. We were researching it. They own tons and tons of vegan restaurants. Wow. So this is a real life comic book villain. The secret society, a secret uh, international group. That's slowly stripping away all your favorite foods. I may need to enlist the Scooby gang to help us out here. I mean, Shaggy would surely be on board. 100%. So as they're sort of eating this terrible pizza, uh, Scooby-Doo starts freaking out. Basically, he's getting a message through his his headset uh, that something's going on. And so he runs off. And it turns out that he detected that Velma was in trouble. And so now we have Scooby running to meet uh, Daphne, Fred, and Velma, mm-hmm. and Shaggy chasing after him. So for the first time, we get the whole gang together. Yeah. And so Velma kind of freaks out when she sees Scooby here and Shaggy uh, because she realizes, you know, she's up to no good. She's being an informant against this complex that Shaggy works at. Right. And she even makes a comment, which I thought was not playing her hand very well. She says, don't you want, un- wait, I got to do the voice. Right. I got a little carried away. Don't you understand that Rogers holds our lives in his hands? And Rogers is Shaggy's real name. Shaggy had no idea. Shaggy goes, I do? Or was that a Scooby voice or was that a Shaggy voice I just did? Shaggy is more uh, kind of gravelly than you remember. I do? So Shaggy goes, row I do? Yeah, that sounded more let's, like Let's more move like on from that. So then Velma continues, if he, in, if he informs his superiors that I'm out here meeting with you, then Shaggy cuts her off and basically tells her, like, don't worry. Like, you know me. I'm on board. Right. I'm going to help you out. Yeah. Pretty quick just to help her out. Like, he doesn't know what's going on. But Shaggy seems kind of like a loyal, well, I guess disloyal in this case against the complex. But he's, like, ready to help. He's loyal. He compares himself later on to dogs. He can relate more to dogs than to people. Dogs are loyal creatures, but they're loyal to people that they interact with. Shaggy's similar. So he's loyal to Daphne, somebody he sees on a day-to-day basis. He's not loyal to a faceless corporation or business. So that's his loyalty. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and later on, they talk about how Shaggy has not a high IQ, but a high canine IQ. Right. Which, you know, I think it's about how he, like, relates to dogs, but I think also that it's like he has the intelligence of a dog. I, I think the scientist who told him that was taking a subtle dig at his intelligence. So, once Velma sees that Shaggy's on board, the whole gang goes down into the complex with her. 
underneath this uh, this boulder that she had first emerged from. Right, because she has to show them something. We don't know what yet. And so she brings them into the into the complex, and you see it's this like high tech looking lab. It's where she was before, and she starts explaining what the purpose of the complex is. Now Shaggy thinks it's all about this like dog training thing, like making these super smart dogs for the military, like Scooby Doo. But Velma reveals that that's actually a distraction. The real project going on is called Project Elysium. In the smart dog thing, it's a distraction. It's also just a way for them to make money to fund Project Elysium. So you can, as soon as you read that, you realize that Scooby is a product of the smart dog program. So he has kind of low-level language skills, just like you saw in the old show. You know, he can say, ruh row or, uh, you know, if he wants pizza, he can, he can say, like, Rita. So he has low-level language skills. He can, he can understand humans pretty well. And, uh, and Shaggy's role in this, he's kind of like Chris Pratt from Jurassic World. He's the trainer of the raptors, in this case, the smart dogs. Now, Velma starts to kind of explain what Project Elysium is. And the way she does it is first she hands like a clipboard over to to Daphne with a bunch of info on it. And I just want to show how terrible of a journalist Daphne seems to be. Mm-hmm. Daphne basically asks her, right, like, explain what's going on. Uh, Velma hands her the papers, says, read it for your, read it for yourself. I don't know what's <laughs> happening to my voice. I think just just read it in your normal, just act as though you're you're trying to act the line. And don't worry about your your tone or your pitch. Yeah, so Velma hands the papers to Daphne, goes, read it for yourself. And Daphne, the fantastic journalist that she is, she goes, random papers on a clipboard? You know, what some might call evidence, you know? Yeah. Anyway. So, to be be fair, she's not going to have time to read and interpret all that stuff. So, you know, give me the headline. And then maybe I'll look at the details. That's fair. I was being a little harsh on Daphne. Right. It just that's kind of your mo. You know, you go. You're a you, you and Adam. You both take hard lines on certain things. Adam takes a very hard line when it comes to morals and principles. He will not let it go that Batman doesn't kill the Joker. I ask him, can we move on from that? He goes, No. I've got to keep hammering this issue in until someone listens. The Joker is a mass murderer. He cannot be allowed to continue to live, and he won't let it go. Wait, and you were saying it's okay to let Joker live? Batman doesn't kill. It's a stupid principle. It's the wrong principle. Joker is evil. He cannot be allowed to live. It's too dangerous. What if you get the right cocktail of drugs and therapy, and he renounces his ways? Who knows what talents he has? That are being destroyed by killing him. He could cure cancer. He could invent a better vacuum cleaner. He could do any number of things that are erased from the world by killing him. Give him a chance. He's been given so many chances. It's very obvious that he is not able to be rehabilitated. He needs to be killed. All right. then why I will you... not drop this. Okay. You, you and Adam could do a podcast then. And so Velma goes on to explain what Project Elysium is. And what she explains is that the idea was to release these nanites, right? What we saw at the beginning, to release these nanites uh, throughout the world. And what they basically are are these like mini robots that are meant to infect all of the humans on the planet 
and they self-replicate too. So they go all over the planet infecting everyone and they will transform humanity. And she says at first the intention was to eliminate the baser instincts of man, get rid of greed, violence, things like that. Uh, But it took kind of a darker turn. And eventually these scientists, right? This isn't even the government. It's like a group of four scientists running this. Called the four. The four. Yes, the four expanded the scope of this work. And they decided to breed in a kind of, as Velma describes, passivity into humanity. Implying that, you know, they want to make, you know, everyone into sheeple. That they'll be able to control. The sheeple that she was accusing them of being to begin with. And a couple things. The four, do you think that's a reference to the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Because this whole thing is about bringing on the apocalypse. They are codenamed the four and they are literally bringing on the apocalypse. What What is the significance? Like, why is it four horsemen? Do they each have like a purpose? Uh, I don't know. I don't that know. could be foreshadowing. I do know that. that the uh, X-Men apocalypse had their equivalent of the four horsemen. And each one of them was a different mutant with differing abilities. So if I assume that the X-Men interpretation was similar to the original, then the answer is yes. They each brought some different ability, something different to the table. Also, I wanted to point out just more of the characterization here. When uh, Velma, that's the scientist. Yes. When she was explaining all of this and sort of, you know, she, you get telling Shaggy that, hey, that whole smart dog thing, that's not what this is all about. That's nothing. In fact, by any measure, the smart dog program, Scooby-Doo, was a failure. You could see how defensive Shaggy got. Like, don't call, don't call Scooby a failure. There's actually a great exchange that put kind of a smile on my face, warmed my heart a little bit, where he's defending Scooby. And I want to find the actual line here. I think I found it. Yeah, okay. So Velma is basically saying that Scooby's a failure. He doesn't have a killer instinct. And that's what the military needs. And Shaggy goes, of course he doesn't have killer instincts. Scooby's a sweetheart. I don't know if that was the line. Yeah, and then in the background, doesn't Scooby say, like, Um, thank you. Yeah, Scooby goes, rank you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. It is the relationship between Scooby and Shaggy is incredibly heartwarming. You buy it immediately. Even if you didn't watch the original show, you, they have such a great just bond. Yeah. No, th- I mean they both just seem like great. Like Shaggy is Shaggy is probably like the best friend you could possibly have. Yeah. He's fantastic. And that's one thing I'd say overall on the on the tone of this issue is this easily could have been a uh yeah, Daniel's smiling at me right now because every time we turn the mic on, it seems like that we shouldn't turn these mics on. It's too dangerous because every time we do, sirens just start going by like crazy. So I think we uh, it's it's a risky endeavor. Every time we do this, we're causing all kinds of havoc across Manhattan. Uh, the tone of the issue. Easily, this could have been, we're going to take Scooby-Doo, we're going to take the original story, it was for kids, we're going to make it for adults, we're going to make it super dark, and it's going to be it's going to be staring into the dark soul of humanity. And there's a little bit of that, but they keep the humor throughout, but the humor just feels a lot more grounded, and it's just, it's not overly dark. It strikes a good balance. It's just a more adult version of Scooby-Doo, and I thought 
it works a lot better than I expected it to. And so they start exploring the complex some more. And, and Velma is basically taking them to a room called the safe room. And the idea is that this is the room. No, where- it's, it's even more nefarious than that. Safe oh. room sounds nice, right? This is the safe zone. Oh, that's a lot more sinister. Yeah. She brings them to the safe zone. This is the room. It's known as the heart of the Project Elysium. It's the room where the four are meant to go when they initiate, when they activate the nanites. And the idea is that the four will go there at some point. It's the only part of the planet where the nanites can't get in. And they'll hit some button, activate it, and the nanites will start reconfiguring all of humanity. Because the nanites, they've been released already. Remember the beginning of the issue when Velma opened up that little device and the green specks went off into the sky? The nanites are already out there. Human beings, you listeners, you've got the nanites. They're inside you already. It's too late. What the four are going to do is activate them and the reconfiguration of your soul will begin. Of your soul, your biology. Yeah. All that stuff. Same thing. Yeah. And as they're exploring the safe room, kind of discussing, you know, what Project Elysium is, all of a sudden, an alarm starts going off. Uh, and, and they all start freaking out. But Velma knows immediately what's happening. Right. Velma goes, this can't be happening. The nanites, they've been activated. Yep. The beginning of the apocalypse. Right. We should insert like a little sound effect there. Yeah. Boom. What we can do is another uh, another biblical reference that when the four horsemen come to kick off the apocalypse, they think you're supposed to hear like horns in the background. Like... And uh, this alarm, those are essentially the horns signaling the beginning of the apocalypse. And and so as this like sirens going off, Velma Velma says we've got a thousand fail safes in place to prevent this very thing. And so I wonder, why did this happen? Yeah. Why? How? How did this get set off? Maybe. Just maybe. The four, they're not the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's the Scooby gang. Maybe it's a mistake, but maybe maybe the Scooby gang was meant to set this off somehow. Maybe I'm reading a little more into it. but No, I'm not even tracking your theory. What you're saying that the code name, the four, is a reference to the Scooby gang? Yes. There's four of them, right? No, there's... Yeah, there's four excluding Scooby. That's... But the four is literally a code name the scientists use to describe themselves. It's not like you're saying metaphorically like meta. This isn't within the world of the comic book. The four is the scientists. You're saying that the writer of the comic wants you to draw the connection and say the four is really the, the Scooby gang. Well, maybe what I'm wondering is if the scientists intentionally wanted the Scooby gang to like set it up. You know, I don't think it really oh, makes sense. Well, I'm just trying yeah. to understand like. You would think there'd be a million fail-safes. She says there are. Like, how the hell does this happen? Well, neither of us read this and think it's accidental. We believe this is intentional, right? Which means there's a plan here. Like, this was the plan of the scientists. Or somebody else got involved and messed around with it. But I don't think somebody accidentally flipped a switch or anything like that. What you're saying is maybe part of that intent involves the Scooby gang. 
maybe we'll find out down the road there's some destiny, some big plan at play, which somehow involves these four. They were always destined to be together. This isn't all coincidence. That's what you're thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. I didn't think about that when I read it, but it feels like a way that you would go if you were writing this. So uh, maybe. And so the whole gang is freaking out, wondering what's going on. And suddenly the power goes out. It's pitch black. And we hear someone ask, uh, or first Velma says the power's gone out in the entire complex. And then we hear someone ask, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Velma responds, I wish I knew, Miss Blake. On the next panel, we see her say, I wish I knew. So it's Against a- very dramatic, right? I wish I knew, Miss Blake. I wish I knew. And in the background, we see the apocalypse. We see demons flying around, hellfire spewing everywhere, these monsters fighting each other. There's a mummy. There's some type of werewolf thing. There's a green monster. I mean, everything's everything's gone to hell. You see monsters. So I would say upper left corner, you see traditional demons carrying people, hellfire. But in the foreground, right up front in the panel, you see creatures that would fit into a Scooby-Doo episode. I'm talking like cre- the, the creature from the Black Lagoon in a Wolfman. The types of bad guys you would have seen back in the cartoon. So it's... When I when I first opened up the issue, my question was, I assumed, based on the title, that in the original show, the villain, these monsters, were always revealed to be a human in disguise. There was no actual supernatural activity. At least not in the original Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? I figured in this one, they'd be real. And it seems like maybe it's not supernatural. I mean, this is my guess. Maybe the things we're seeing are not supernatural, but the nanites have somehow transformed people, you know, genetically transformed them into monsters. Maybe they read our minds and just figured out what our nightmares are. And based off of our imagination of what hell would be like, they transformed people. You think about demons, you're a demon, right? Now, I wonder if that's... You know, did the nanites, did, did the scientists make a mistake, right? Or is this what they intended for the nanites to do, right? Like the way it was described was it would breed in a kind of passivity into humans so that the, the four could rule them. But this, I mean, this looks nothing like passivity, right? Right. I have, I have two theories. One that's, I think, more likely. One that's a little less likely. The first theory is that this is total mistake. The scientists did intend to do exactly what Velma described. We're going to make people passive, um, but they were messing with powers greater than what they you know, knew how to control. They screwed up. Things went south. Uh, theory two is that maybe one of the scientists of the four had a different idea of what to do, and he kind of tinkered with the chemistry. Maybe, maybe they're going to get meta, and he, he's like... You know, I was a big fan of this show back in the day, Scooby-Doo. I want to make that real. I want that to be the real world. So he tinkered with the nanites and had them create this world for him. And maybe that's why they wanted the Scooby gang there in the safe zone. So they could live out the Scooby TV show. So they're doing this for us, for us readers. Wow, that makes me feel bad. Yeah. 
that's the less likely theory. More likely, I think it was just a, it was just a science experiment gone wrong. I actually heard about uh, some company that was working on a vaccine for like psychological things. Hmm. And one of their ideas was they were working with the, well, I don't know if they're actually working with the government to do this. I don't know if this is a conspiracy theory. A friend of mine was telling me that they're working on vaccines that can kind of breed out uh, like combativeness and violence. And the idea would be that you could like deploy it on the enemy. Yeah. Pretty scary stuff if that actually exists. Oh, when you said breed out, it made me think of uh, a reference that occurred earlier in the comic. I think it's just worth mentioning just to show you like this is you would never see this line on the original Scooby-Doo. But when Daff or when Velma is explaining the whole plan, Daphne cuts in and accuses her of essentially saying, you know, who else had that idea? Hitler. And when Velma tries to defend herself, Daphne doubles down on the comparison and say, essentially says, oh, you were just following orders? I mean, it is very Nazi-like, right? To try and say you're going to breed all of humanity to be a certain way. Well, let's let you know what that's actually one important. There's a there's another kind of epilogue to this issue, right? That gives us a little bit more of the backstory. And kind of flashes back to uh, we we learn a little bit more about Scooby Doo's origins. Before we dive into that, some big philosophical questions. A lot of people watched Avengers: Infinity War and they walked away thinking Thanos. You know, I can see his point. He's trying to help people. So in Scooby Apocalypse, what side do you fall on? Are you, do you see the four as doing something noble? Are you with them? Or do you think this is just, you know, this is not, I don't like this plan. Are, are you in support of the four? Are you in support of the four? No. Yeah, me totally. Me neither. <laughs> 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 no, zero sympathy for Velma. Terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. Awful. Even if it's executed according to plan. Super messed up thing to do to humanity. Yeah, it's kind of like hard to predict exactly what that would do. You're going to turn down everyone's greed. That's what they said they're going to do. That's one of the things they said they would do is turn down propensity for violence. Maybe there's something there. I don't know. Because people do sometimes get angry. They act rash. If we have a way of dampening that a little bit, okay, maybe that's good. It it still can't be this non-consensual. We're going to do it. We're going to essentially lobotomize the entire world population all in one go. But the greed question, greed sometimes motivates people to do – like maybe they go too far and then you know you're driving a car and – I'm trying to think of a good example here. Like maybe – Maybe you're dying and your your greed or your self-interest is turned down so low. You're like, yeah, I'll just lie here and die instead of doing something yeah, about maybe, it. Yeah, maybe people would stop eating. They'd stop working. What's the point? Yeah, you'd become obsessed with just doing other things and not worry about yourself enough. I mean, that's just – that's chemistry you don't want to mess with. And I certainly don't trust these nameless four to have figured it out. Yeah. Should we go through the epilogue? Yeah, let's go through the epilogue. So we, we cut to the complex three years ago. Wait, wait. You skip past. Uh, you know, I love the titles, right? Ah. So they tell us what's coming up next in the next issue. Ooh, I'll read this one. Yeah. So we see a, you know, that, that photo we were describing before, right? Of, the, uh, of all the demons everywhere. This is the right page. Yep. And at the bottom it says, next, apocalypse, right now. Right, which is a reference to the movie apocalypse now and 
a uh, what's the word where you compare two things? The dichotomy. Juxtaposition. Juxtaposition with the title of this issue, Waiting for the End of the World. Well, you don't have to wait anymore. It's here, right now, on the next issue. And it's interesting, especially at the beginning, you might have thought that maybe they'd, the whole thing would be them, like, preventing the end of the world. But no, they failed. The world's ended. Yeah. Now they're just going to deal with the aftermath. Yeah. The apocalypse already here. Right now. Now, in a happier tone, we see Shaggy's first day at the complex. Right. And Shaggy's talking about how he signed like 72 pages of non-disclosure agreements. And he's a little confused because he's actually just going to be a, a, what was it, a a dog trainer? Right. He's a low-rent dog trainer, according to him. And, uh, and, and the scientist is, is kind of showing Shaggy around the place, really complimenting him, saying he's perfect for the job. He says that uh, his test scores were quite impressive, that he has an extraordinarily high canine IQ, which we had referenced earlier. Right. Let me, can we do that in a sort of scientist voice? I'd hardly call you low rent, Mr. Rogers. Your test scores were quite impressive. You have an extraordinarily high canine IQ. Which means? You share an empathetic bond with the animals. The dogs relate to you on their own level. Almost as if you're one of them. Which is where I thought he was taking kind of a dig at him. Because he's saying they relate to you on their own level. So he's essentially saying, yeah, you're uh, as smart as a, you're like a dog. Well, and he goes further and he says, which, given your breath, makes perfect sense. Oh, I read that as breath with a D, like B-R-E-A-D-T-H, like wide breath of knowledge, and that confused me. But he's literally talking about his breath, saying it smells yeah. bad, right? This scientist is actually, throughout the comic, he's he's made, or maybe he does it later, he's made a lot of digs at Shaggy, especially his personal hygiene. He mm. also comments on his B.O. Oh, so he's kind of a, he's a little bit of a P.O.S. Oh, absolutely. But, but. He's probably not one of the four on Project Elysium. Well, maybe he is. If he is, real POS. If not, in comparison to Velma and all these other people, eh, not that bad a guy. Actually not a bad guy. He, yeah. he actually is nice to Shaggy later on in this, That's in this true. story. Yeah. And so uh, Shaggy's basically being introduced to his new job, and he runs into Velma in the hallway. And this is this is kind of the first time we ever see them interacting. Mm-hmm. Which their interaction is, using the word interaction is kind of... Uh, giving it too much credence because they bumped into each other. She didn't even acknowledge his existence. And we learn here that she's above his pay grade, right? He's, he doesn't know what the, the scientist that Shaggy's talking to doesn't even know really who Daphne is or what she does. You can tell this whole place is structured. So that you have a need to know basis. Shaggy's going to deal with the dogs and that's all he's going to know about. Yeah, and, and, and Shaggy sees for the first time, like, this lab with all of the dogs in it. And we, we already see, like, how, just kind of how, like, genuine and, like, good-hearted Shaggy is. Because he sees uh, Scooby in the corner being kind of attacked by all of these other dogs. And Shaggy immediately doesn't care about his orientation or anything. Like, he starts freaking out, saying, we got to do something. This dog's going to get torn apart. Right. And the scientist's response is essentially, oh, yeah, that dog was kind of a failure. I forgot to – we uh, we got to destroy him. I just forgot to kind of do the paperwork for that. So, yeah, I'll take care of that. Don't worry. <laughs> because this whole smart dog initiative is for the military. They want to make smart warrior dogs. Scooby's clearly not that. 
these other dogs appear to at least have a higher degree of success than Scooby. They're vicious. Scooby's in the corner. They're attacking him. Shaggy's not happy about it. Yeah, and Shaggy's saying, you know, we got to go in there and do something. And the scientist says, not to worry. We can release a sedative spray that will calm the dogs. And But Shaggy doesn't. Shaggy says, there's no time for that. We got to go and do something now. And so Shaggy runs into this room with all these violent dogs, like, trying to kill each other. And that's, that's just how brave and, like, good Shaggy is, that he's willing to go in there. And he gets between the dogs and, and Scooby, and, and he, he saves Scooby-Doo. Yeah. He literally jumps in front of these dogs that are ready to tear Scooby apart and just yells at them, Back the hell off! Now! So in the show, Shaggy was a weak, you know, fool, basically. Here, he's still got some of the foolishness, but it's it's bravery. He has bravery. He cares. He's very empathetic. So, you know, Shaggy from the 60s, he should read this comic, learn a thing or two. Yeah, in the show, he's always, like, hiding. Anytime, right? Anytime there's a monster or anything, right? So every episode, he just goes and, like, hides away, right? He's always freaking out. Yeah, and I think he would end up helping, but usually in a sort of, like, lucky... He like stumbles and bumbles around, and he's like, "Oops! Oh, here he is. You found the bad guy over here." Yeah. So in this one, we seem to have a much braver Shaggy, which will be interesting to see. And so once once Scooby's saved, actually, this is when the scientist starts talking about how, like, "Oh yeah, we really got to get on and destroy this dog." And Shaggy's like, "What the hell? <laughs> it's insane." Uh, Shaggy says, "Like, you know, he's not going to allow Scooby to get destroyed on his watch." And the scientist basically offers him, says, all right, like, look, if you can take care of him, like, we can keep him alive. If you can keep protecting him. Right. And he said, this is where he's kind of nice to him, because you could see this going another way where he puts his foot down and says, nope, we're going to take this dog out back and we're going to we're gonna put down this abomination. But he, he lets, he says, go for it, Shaggy. And he even tells him he'll be really impressed. He'll buy him a beer if he's successful at this. And so at the end, Shaggy's talking to Scooby, and he says, That's it. Dental benefits or no dental benefits. I'm telling Blatsky that I'm quitting, effective immediately. And and, and Scooby starts looking at him. Puppy all, dog all eyes. Puppy dog eyes. Real cute puppy dog eyes. Shaggy goes, No, no, no. Don't look at me like that. You really can't expect me to. I mean, those other dogs, they're the nastiest bunch of... Ruvru. That's Scooby. I guess he's, you don't see that he's licking him, but he's he's coming close to, to Shaggy. He's being all friendly. He's telling him he loves him. Yeah. Oh. Love yeah. you. Right. Oh. oh, I didn't even get that. And the then Shaggy time. responds, I don't care if you... Wait, did you just talk? Uh-huh. Oh, man. I really should have read those contracts. And so Scooby's gonna, uh, Shaggy's going to stick around just to take care of Scooby. And now they're going to be best friends for the next three years. Pretty heartwarming ending, given that this was the start of the apocalypse. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I was saying before. They they thread the needle well with the tone. To me, it did feel like this was leaning heavier on comedy than, than the darkness. But obviously, there are some very dark things happening here. I'm curious. So, of course, on a, a plot level, I'm curious about all the mysteries here. Like who are the four? Why did everyone turn into monsters? What went wrong? Uh, I'm and just generally speaking, what the heck happens next now that we're the apocalypse is here? 
I'm curious on that level. And then from a tonal perspective, I'm very interested to see what happens here. Are they going to stick with comedy or are they going to start showing the true impact of these dark things that are happening? I mean, in that image, those demons were carrying people. So you've got to think that you're going to see some true death and destruction. Blood will be shed. Will they shy away from that by you know, leaning on, on comedy or will we see some of that? Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even notice in that image that there were actually still some people in there. The demons were carrying human beings. Yeah. All right, well, that's nice. Not everyone's dead yet. Right. So what did you think overall? What was your... Did you uh, did you enjoy reading this? Did it did it? What were your expectations going in? Yeah, honestly, I I know I I did not really have an idea of what to expect. Although I think I think I just kind of assumed it would have been a little closer to like the TV show that I'd watched as a kid. Hmm. Uh, definitely a lot darker than I expected. I don't think I expected expected the apocalypse to like involve like as much hellfire and stuff as in that last image. Like definitely darker. Um, but really like way more entertaining and just like way more, uh, enthralling than I'd expected. Yeah. Like I really couldn't stop turning the pages. Like I, the, the first time I read it, I was so curious about the plot right. of what was going to happen. And it's a pretty dense issue. There's a lot of text. It takes you some time to get through it. It's, uh, yeah. So more, more substance than I expected. And I was hooked. I really couldn't stop turning the page. And one other thing I'll say is we're taking it for granted that the apocalypse is here. We're both sort of assuming the whole world has gone to hell, so to speak. We saw one panel, right? One page of a group of people. It didn't look like they were doing very well, right? We saw monsters. We saw demons. We don't truly know the scope of this yet. And we're going based on the title. They want us to think the apocalypse is here. We'll see with issue two. How, how, how big are we talking? Is the apocalypse truly here? Is it too late? Or is there still a chance that maybe it's a little bit limited in the scope and they still have a chance to stop it? We'll see. Yeah, and we have to be very open-minded. Like, one last thing to remember, right, is in the original Scooby, you know, TV show, right, it almost, it, it always turned out that it was a trick, right? right? It was a human dressed up. I mean, look, it looks pretty bad, but let's let's not forget, like, maybe there could be something going on. Yeah. All right, so we... We're going to read issue two, right? We've got to keep this going, I think. And uh, there are about, I think right now, there's 31 issues of this comic out there. And it's still ongoing. So we have a lot to catch up on. So 24-hour Scooby Marathon. What do you think? Yeah, I'll do it if uh, if we get rid of Adam. All right. Adam, you're off the show. Daniel, we're going to need a lot of Red Bull. And uh, I'm going to need you to take a couple days off work. No problem. We have our we have our work cut out for us. And I don't want to miss any references. So we have to rewatch every episode of the original Scooby-Doo television show. Because I've, I noticed a couple references. At one point, Shaggy was running and he says, Scooby-Doo, where are you? And, oh, there you are. That was the name of the show. Scooby-Doo, where are you? So I don't want to miss any of those references. So, Daniel, you're on Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Duty, until uh, until further notice. I'm on it. With that, I'm Gil. And, and I'm Irene Daniel. Ka- <laughs> you, you, know, you guys. All right, here, fine, we can do it. I thought that's what we were doing. All right, let's go for it. I'm Gil. 
And I'm Daniel. Not and, and. Because we're going to okay. say, I'm Gil, I'm Daniel, and we read comics. Got it. I'm Gil. I'm Daniel. And, and we, we read comics. comics. Specifically, we read Scooby-Doo, but also other comics.